Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go. But would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. All right, today's episode, I'm just going to say it is special. It was, it's really, I think one of the only episodes I've ever recorded where I didn't really come with a huge agenda, which sometimes, you know, it's like throwing a dice. It could go really well. And other times it could be awkward silence after awkward silence. But I just had one of those gut promptings that said, just let this conversation flow. So I did. And I'm so glad I did. Today's guest, TMAC Fitness founder, Todd McCullough, and I had such an incredible conversation and I cannot wait for you to hear his heart and our conversation, but I'll just leave you with a couple things that he said that stood out to me so much. One thing he said is the hard parts about blind spots is you can't see what you can't see. Now that is a freaking word. We talked a lot about conflict resolution and fitness and our backgrounds as being athletes, but a huge theme that we kept getting back to was the value of relationship and unity over being right. So I hope you enter into this conversation with open ears and open heart and let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today we have a guy on the podcast, which I know the guys are few and far between, but the podcast is called the Refined Collective, y'all. So trying to get better about having more dudes on. I'm today, representing the dudes. I like it. <laughs> representing the dudes. Today we have Todd McCullough, founder of TMAC Fitness. He is a former University of Florida football player turned yogi, which I want to hear all about. He, I feel like, Todd, when I read this part of your bio, I kind of feel like it's like an online dating profile. <laughs> You love God. You enjoy a beer and a steak. Do you also like long walks on the beach? Oh, I love long. Well, it's more about walking my little pup. I got a German shepherd, so I've got to exercise his little ass almost daily. That's that's my walk on the beach. Yeah. But but don't you think we have these long bios now? Like we we have these professional bios. I'm just like, how can I break this down? Like three bullet points. Like, love God, enjoy a beer and a steak, which probably gives you an idea that I'm not like, too super religious for you. And then, you know, <laughs> I make workouts videos. That's, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I was recording a podcast recently and the bio was so long, but it was this person I was interviewing had such an impressive bio that I felt like I couldn't shorten it, but I was like, so stressed reading the whole thing. I had like sweaty pits by the end of the bio. And I was like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, my hands are sweating. Like that was so long. Like, are you still with me? Like, 
Well, that's a fun conversation too, right? Because it's, it's like, you know, if you get on to go do a speech or whatever, mm-hmm. like you're a guest, and they, they rant off about like all your accomplishments, but they never say like the hundred times you failed, right? Totally. Isn't that interesting? So it's like you come up from these like group of strangers and are like, this is success. And you're like, I have failed so many times. Totally. I wish you knew. So what would your like three bullet point, <laughs> I'm T-Mac, founder of T-Mac Fitness, I'm a failure. <laughs> what would that be? <laughs> <laughs> as far as like the failures yeah like what are some oh, of like God, your big so your big i can share mine too so you're not just like throwing yourself under the bus so eighth grade i'm playing quarterback for our, um our middle school team in baker county florida shout out to baker county it's a big <laughs> thriving metropolis in north florida on the florida georgia line <laughs> and we're playing green cove springs and we march down the field a couple seconds left we get down inside the 10 and I throw four incomplete passes, oh, no. and we, we don't win the game. So we were like, oh, that's middle school. But I still remember to this day, like, one play that I could have made better probably would have won the game. Oh, man. Went on to, you know, go to this awesome high school, but only won um, one state championship. We should have won two more. Huge disappointments there. Went to University of Florida. We were number one in the country. Got upset. Finished number three. I never – I was like one of – probably like 18 classes in a row that did like one of 18 that didn't win an SC championship oh, or a national championship. So like huge failures, uh, you know, starting to, uh, you know, basic, I got fired from Merrill Lynch after football I was a financial advisor <laughs> back in the last stock market crashed in 2008. I know suit and tie. It was a fun, fun time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the last market crash, all of us young brokers are dead weight. So we all got fired. Um, T-Mac Fitness been 10 years running now, but I mean, the first two years, it was like ramen noodles, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I've tried so many things um, with T-Mac and we've got a good thing going now. And, you know, but I think that that's one of the things we shared the other day is the many blessings of playing sports is like, mm-hmm. there's no time to sit around licking your wounds. Like you get knocked down, you get right back up. Uh, you know, you, re- you reflect on it for a moment, maybe have a beer to think about it. And then the next day you get back up and get back in the fight. Yeah. It's like that perseverance of, um, I, I was a tennis player in college and being like, it doesn't matter if I don't want to get up at 5am for those practices or do two a days or sprints after a four hour practice in the hundred degree Texas weather, you do it and you do it with a smile on your face. And, I remember my uncle telling me years ago when I was, when I was in college, he said, you're, you being a collegiate athlete is going to support you for your entire career. It's going to get you jobs just because you were a collegiate athlete. And I didn't understand that at all at the time. And I totally do now because freaking running your own business. <laughs> I mean, so let me share with you some of my, some of my failures. Um, Love to hear him. Go for it. Great. Um, and I'm like, maybe I should put this on my dating profile. I don't know. <laughs> so you're not perfect. Unbelievable. You're human. I have really bad BO. <laughs> there you go. That is a true story. Like I, my best friend, she is like one of those girls that glistens when she sweats. Like I am just sitting down doing an interview for a podcast right now. And I have sweat dripping down my face. I just, I'm all, I'm all for transparency. I would leave that out of the profile in the data gap. <laughs> <laughs> so really bad PO. Um, but I've run the refined woman for eight years now and I didn't bring in one penny for almost six. Wow. And it was even today, the refined woman does not bring in the bulk of my income. The bulk of my income is still through photography, but it took, I just didn't know like I couldn't figure out like my vision for it. It started as a style blog and I knew I wanted it to be more, but I just couldn't figure out how to, to make it profitable. And I, I think I also had a lot of limiting beliefs when I saw other peers of mine start selling courses and it felt really slimy. And so I was like, ah, that's what it means to monetize my brand. I don't want to do it. So it took me six years to monetize the refined woman. And so that was only two years ago. And I've been a full-time photographer for 10 years. I moved out to New York city seven years ago. My first year in New York city, I made less than $12,000. 
Um, I don't even know. I mean, I literally shared a bed in a tiny Brooklyn apartment with my best friend and my entire family was like, we knew it. You're a lesbian. We knew it. (laughs) I was like, no, she's my best friend. Uh, I just am so broke. (laughs) Um, so that was super hard. And then I really try not to live my life with a lot of regrets, but if I had a regret, it would be I was super unhappy at the college I played tennis at in, in mm-hmm. college. I had a really, I had a pretty verbally abusive coach. She was breaking all sorts of NCAA rules. I got, I was injured. I had injury after injury after injury and didn't really like, I just was hurt all the time, but still playing number line one. And I, for those of you who don't know scholarship stuff for, athletic stuff in college. I don't know what it's like now, but I, I couldn't get released from my scholarship. So I kept trying to transfer schools to go be under different coaching, um, because it was so bad. Um, but in order to do that, your Dean of students has to release you from your scholarship or else you have to sit out a year. And so I, I kept not being able to get released. And finally I just, was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm so hurt. I can hardly walk. So I quit in the middle of the year. Mm. And I was, I quit right at the beginning of our season. There were picture life-size pictures of me plastered all over our university. And I was line one doubles, line one singles ranked top in the nation. I was team captain. (laughs) And, um, I, it was one of those 2020 hindsight, like, it was, I felt like I had to get out of there cause it was such a bad situation. And mm-hmm. I feel like I know now that just because you know what you're supposed to do, like timing is everything. And I burned a lot of bridges. I ruined a lot of relationships and you know, I can't, I can say, yeah, I was a, a collegiate athlete, but I also now can't say that I played all four years. And right. so I feel like that was one of those things that in the moment I felt like it was right. But when I look back, it's like one of those things in my life where I'm like, I mean, I've like forgiven myself (laughs) for it, but I'm like, man, that was the wrong move. How would you have done it different? Just played the rest of that season. I think I definitely would have played the rest of the season. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the here's what happened is I quit and then my coach got fired. Oh wow. And so I was like the fourth or fifth number one player to leave in like two years. Wow. So there was a problem. That's a sign of a problem. Yeah. So after I left, they brought in this incredible coach. My high school doubles partner transferred from U of A to play for them. And it like they got a new tennis facility. So it was like the year after I left, it turned into this incredible program. And so part yeah. of me is like, well, maybe I needed to be the straw that broke the camel's back to make that happen. But I definitely think if I went back, I would have played the rest of the season And I think also tried to have more conversations with how I I think how much I was hurting. I think Mm -hmm. one of the mindsets that I learned from athletics that was unhelpful for me and so much has helped me with athletics, but I learned like if you're in pain, you push through it like no, like no pain, no gain. And so I think I was really pushed by my coaches to keep playing through pain. And I wish that I had an advocate. And now I know that I can be that advocate for myself to know the difference between, yeah, sometimes you just need to suck it up and play, but that push through pain thing really has not served me in my life. Like i tore my IT band twice in yoga in the last seven years because I was like, Oh, I need to push through this pain. Um, so I think I would have, I, I, I wish I would have had an advocate to like say, Hey, she's really hurt. Maybe let's take a semester off and reevaluate. Or I wish I could have just said, you know, I actually really am hurting. Like we need to figure something else out here. Um, cause I loved tennis, but I just, my body was just falling apart. Well, there's so many f- great things which you just hit on, right? Is that I think one is if you know, I was thinking about this myself because I actually I dated a uh, volleyball player in mm. college, and you know, you've got you're at University of Florida. It is probably harder to get a volleyball scholarship at Florida than it is football. I mean, it's the the girls there were phenomenal athletes. Uh, they were always competing for the national championship as well, and 
it there was it was interesting to see how these you know super talented girls just the um, the mind games that they were struggling with uh, and just the body the body image of mm. like not feeling pretty and totally. not feeling fat and things that dudes normally don't have a heart that really don't go through. Mm-hmm. At least I never came across that. Mm-hmm. And just seeing how that affected their performance. And then on top of what you said is, how do you work with someone like a boss or a head coach? Yeah. That's just an ass, yeah. right? Like you, you have to show up every day with, with a jerk. Yeah. And how do you go about doing that? Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of lessons there to take away from that experience. Is like, cause you know, sometimes like a lot of people listen right now that their boss could be an asshole, right? Like that could very, but how do you still show up to work in a good mindset? And then, but also at the same time, how do you take care of yourself and move forward, whether that's leaving the team, leaving the company in the best way forward? Uh, you know, that, that's, a, there's a lot to unpack there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, my coach was rough, but I mean, I also, I've ruffled feathers since I came out of the womb. (laughs) I'm like, hello, this elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. Throwing bows. Totally. And I mean, I was definitely disrespectful to my coach. I remember one time in particular, she kind of made a deal with us. If we do all of our sprints and calisthenics stuff at 5 a.m. when we did our weight training, then we wouldn't have to do like suicides and stuff post our crazy four hour practice in the afternoon. So that was like the deal she made with us. And so we, that was like the running deal. And then one day she was like, get on the line. And in front of everyone, I was like, you said we didn't have to do this. Why are you making us do this right now? (laughs) And she was so mad. She left practice. Oh wow! And everyone yeah. was so mad at me, and I was like, "What? Like, I, I, I thought I was standing up for us. Like, she said we wouldn't have to do that." <laughs> and so, I mean, I, you know, every opportunity is an opportunity for growth if we choose it to be. Like, you know, whether it's like a tough boss or a tough coach or whatever. Like, I definitely was adding fuel to the fire. Well, it sounds like you're a natural leader, and you, you're fine. I'm just looking at your Instagram. You're fine speaking your voice, regardless of who whatever feathers it ruffles. I think the hard part, especially when you're not the boss, you're not the head coach, how do you contain that in a healthy Mm -hmm. way that moves the team forward? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're, you know, you're, like you said, you came out throwing bows probably as a kid. Like that's, that's your personality. And people, you know, obviously you've built this amazing community. So people gravitate towards that. But there's this also a very challenging thing to do, to go show up to work with someone you don't believe in every day. That's tough. Right. And sometimes you just have to do that. Yep. You know, I think I, millennials, like I am a millennial, we just want to, I want to be passionate about what I'm doing. And I, I want to constantly be growing or moving up the ladder or whatever. And I think, I mean, maybe I'm not one to talk because I run my own business. So I don't technically have a boss anymore, but just learning. Um, I think so for everyone listening, Todd and I tried to record this a couple days ago and the internet hated us. So this is like round two. <laughs> um, but one thing that you and I were getting into is just this idea of like being in a culture right now that's so polarized and Mm -hmm. we have this like algorithm that only shows us kind of what we want to see. So then we are kind of constantly surrounded by an echo chamber, whether it's our friends, we are friends with the church we go to the politics we subscribe to our social media feeds. And something that I'm just so interested in leaning more into is like, what's the goal in life is the goal to be conflict free or is it to have unity? And I'm not saying like brush conflict under the rug, but it seems like as soon as conflict comes, it's like, let's leave. Or if my boss, if I have conflict with my boss, if I have conflict with the person I'm dating, if I have conflict and friendship, it needs to end. Uh, But I just am like, is that like, I think maybe that's why we're in such a polarized place because we're not willing to say, Hey, I disagree with you. Let's work on this, but I still see you value your humanity. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's a lot there. It's a lot of great stuff, right? So for those who listen to my background, I, I grew up, like I said, in North Florida um, and then spent, you know, basically basically a decade out in California. So I got a chance to come from the rural South where it's as country as it gets. Like I said, it's, you know, 
Friday night football and Jesus on Sunday. That's kind of the culture. Um, you need to get really good at hunting and fishing or football. And I, I chose football. <laughs> and then, you know, so like my town, let's just say like the previous election, like my town voted probably 96% Trump or so, mm-hmm. 97% Trump. And then I was in California during the election and it was like 90 something percent Hillary, right? So I had the advantage of going back home and knowing my you know friends and family and how good hearted people they are there. And then I also had the, the benefit that they didn't have of living 10 years in the West Coast and mm-hmm. having great friends that became like family out there. And I would watch how my friends on the West Coast would watch CNN. And that was the daily news. Uh, I mean, I, I cut the cable a couple of years ago because of this, actually. Um, and it's been the best thing ever. But I would watch my friends, you know, they'd watch CNN. My brother's a police officer. My dad was a cop. My uncle was a cop. All of our friends are cops, firefighters, kind of, the you know, blue collar America. And I would watch on CNN. It was like every white cop was, seemed like it was shooting a black person. That was like the daily news. Mm-hmm. And I knew that wasn't true. Like I would, I grew up in that and I saw like I played football. I was like the only white guy on scholarship on defense of 45, you know, guys. Right. So like we grew up and some of our best friends are black. I've dated African-American women, um, et cetera. And then vice versa, I'd go back to back home and they would be watching Fox news. And it was the one immigrant that came across and like raped a white woman. Right. So they're mm. like, and I would watch this polarization and it was funny, like, like once or twice, you know, my family would come out and we'd have a big barbecue and these people that would be in completely different, like their own echo chambers, sharing a meal together, having a beer and just laughing together. And they had no idea how opposite they were politically yeah. um, or even religion wise. And it, I thought it was such a beautiful thing. Like, we've got to get back, I think, to the communal relationships where you're breaking bread with people. Because Mm -hmm. if we understand how media works in the sense of, we talked about the algorithm, right? Like you, you look at Facebook today and I look at Facebook today and we assume we see the same thing and it's not it at all. Like these media companies get paid on advertising, right? So they have to, the longer they can hold our attention, the more ad dollars they can spend. And so if you're flipping through your phone, you're busy, everyone's got life going on. They have to tap into your primal fear in a blink of an eye. Mm. And that's what they're going to do. And based on your own genetic makeup, based on your own childhood, we all are predisposed to these different fears. And we all of a sudden now, because we're not, we're all on our phones as opposed to interacting with other human beings, you know, with the COVID and everything else only made it worse. We all of a sudden now we're in these groups. This is my group and we're right. That's that group and they're wrong. And I think that our identity is often, I think this kind of ties back into you and our faith in, in Christ is we have these identities in these groups and yeah. that reflects on who we are, right? So like, let's just take an example, like the Catholic church, you know, has for whatever reason, a horrible reason, not done a great job done a horrible job of these priests that were molesting children, right? So like how in the hell could a person of God allow that to happen, mm-hmm. right? But they justified this as our group. Our group has to stay together. And so they shove it under the rug. And I see that on both sides where it's like, instead instead of standing for truths and principles, we would rather be right than actually find truth. Um, And I think that's kind of a breakdown right now in society. And I think that, you know, conversations like this and bringing people together, we won't always agree on things. But what are the foundational truths and principles that we can build a society with 320 million people? Who likes free workouts? Um, raising my hand over here. I sure do. All right. Fun fact. Todd McCullough, who is on our podcast today, founder of TMAC Fitness, has a 10-day free at-home fitness training program. And when I say it's free, like literally it's free. Each of the 10-day workouts are 20-minute workouts, no equipment required, so there's no excuses. And the best part is that each workout ends with a meditation and prayer, allowing you to ground and connect to your spiritual practices each day in addition to your fitness. So TMAC Fitness, 10 free days of working out. Whether you're a beginner or advanced, these workouts are for you. If you want to check it out, go to bit.ly slash TRC TMAC. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash TRC T-M-A-C. Again, that's bit.ly slash TRC TMAC. All right. What are you waiting for? Go get your 10 days of free training. You hit on something like 
really interesting is like taking the mask away from social media. And it's so easy to, I mean, I, I am more apt to say something like way more sharp. I mean, I, I think I can be kind of sharp tongued anyways, mm-hmm. but online it's so easy to just say something sharp when like I was reading Carl Lentz is the pastor of Hillsong here, Hillsong church here in New York city. And is that he out of the glasses and wears like a leather jacket sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, is. I, I, I watched, I went with, I went with our buddy Adam Cobb today. He was awesome. Yeah. Adam. Such a, um, such a yeah. Guy. yeah. So Carl, I mean, for years I used to go to that church. Um, and he's been talking about black lives matters since before it was a thing. Like, racial injustice and reconciliation is this guy's heart. And he posted a video last night or recently in the last few days. Um, I mean, ever since everything that's been going on with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Mm -hmm. Ahmaud Arbery, he's been posting a lot of videos about what is white privilege? um, Why do black lives matter? Why is the, why is the work of Candace Owens, this black Republican woman why is it problematic? And he, I mean, I was, I watched the video that he posted last night, which is super interesting. It was this guy breaking down like phrase by phrase, the video that Candace Owens put out that mm-hmm. has over a hundred million views now about why yeah. she doesn't support George Floyd. Um, <clears throat> which, so he, it's just this really, it's very smart and super interesting. And then I was reading the comments and first of all, I feel like if you agree with Carl or not, like to take a stand publicly as a pastor, mm-hmm. I think takes yeah. a lot of courage. Absolutely. Um, so I really acknowledge him for that. And even though I do support <laughs> the stuff that he's posting, right. but I think, wow, to take a really polarizing stance as a pastor and as a leader takes some cojones, but I was looking at the comments and it was like, you're, you're just, you're a shame. You, I can't believe you call yourself a pastor and all these things. And like, you shouldn't be a leader. You're not a leader. And I was just like, man, what would it be like if I just started making a concerted effort to pause and think about, would I say this to someone's face. (laughs) And if I can say like, honest to God, I would say this to this person's face. Then let me say the comment. If I would be like, well, I'd probably say it, but I would say it a little nicer. Um, then let's pause and readjust. That's a great point. Right. And because again, the, so I, everyone's got their own way of doing it. Right. I've chosen to keep my platform to be somewhat positive and just listening to all sides of the story and letting people make up their own minds. But the, and one of the reasons I don't post the really sharp stuff is because you lose that human connection and that body language, right? Let's just take the example of an email. Like say, say I work for you and you send me an email, Todd, um, can you get this done by today? Thank you. Or whatever. And I could take that email, like what a bitch, like what, why yeah. should you give me more time? And you could have just been as casually having your coffee, like smiling, listening to praise music, <laughs> and you lose that interconnection, right? Mm-hmm. The body language, the feel of that person through social media. And so we, we're, we are a lot, like you said, we're likely to say things that we wouldn't say in person. And mm-hmm. the way I look at it is like, if you truly want to make change, I think you have to listen to the best and brightest of the opposing argument. So let's say you like Candace Owen. Let's say you hate Candace Owen, right? For whatever reason, she's popular right now. Right. So I think that you should actually study Candace and like really dive into her work. If that if her work like brings up a huge trigger for you, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't believe this, right? I think you should be watching three times more of that type of content than stuff you agree with. And the same 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 on the other side, right? Like I shared with you the other day that like, you know, I believe in God, but I listen to I think I try to listen to Sam Harris all the time, who is a brilliant unbelievable atheist, right? And I really dive into Sam Harris's work because it makes me go back and pull apart. First of all, it lets me see things from another perspective, right? right? And it's very uncomfortable to do, but yeah. it makes me go back and dig into my faith. Why do I believe this? Do I believe this mm-hmm. just because I read it in the Bible? What mm-hmm. makes that true? Is it more likely I was growing up in the South in this culture that I found Jesus and not Muhammad? Like, 
why did this happen? And really peeling back the layers. And I feel like right now it's such a lazy thing for us to do. And, and just not, I don't see it heroic at all, the whole social media thing, as opposed to, hey, can I just grab a cup of coffee and just listen to your story? Yeah. Just, I saw you post this the other day about Candace Owen. I don't understand. I just want to hear your story. Yeah. And don't go with the agenda of convincing them. None of that. Just listen to their story. People want to share their story. And then when you understand their story, then you start to see things a little bit through their lens, so to speak. And then hopefully during the course of that, you can come to her like, you know what? We completely disagree with that, but that cat's an awesome girl. I could get down with that. Yeah. I could support her in this. And I think that we have to get back to those communal relationships, whether that's your church, whether that's your gym, your sports team, whatever that is. But I think it's so important now. And then I'll, I'll segment away to this. And, you know, if you're a believer in God, we are called to help those that are suppressed. Mm-hmm. Right? Race is completely like whatever the 200 years from now, maybe a different race or maybe another issue, right? We, as a believer in God, we are called to help those in need, right? But I also believe that we should stand in truth. And it's really difficult when you peel back, like what is true today versus what's going to be true two, 300, 400 years from now and getting to these foundational principles because we are wired differently. And getting, like I said, 320 something million people together that believe exactly the same thing isn't going to happen, but there's foundational principles that I think that we can come to that we can help build a better society. And what would you say are, would be like a few of those like core Mm. things for you that you think, man, if, if we could, and let's just make it personal. If I could get this right, or if I could really lean into X, Y, Z, I would make my world a better place. My sphere of influence. Great question. Um, one, I think, let's just see, but it put me on the spot here. Okay, <laughs> this, is, no, but this is what I've been trying to unpack. Like, what are things? So I would say one, and, and you may agree or disagree, and I'm open to your comments on this. I think we should always judge the individual, not the group they're associated with. Meaning that I think that's a statement that'll be true now and also true 400 years from now. Right. So, for example, if a black if you saw an armed robbery in your neighborhood and it was a black suspect who did this, you shouldn't judge a black individual to be a theft or, you know, a thief because a black person robbed someone in your neighborhood. Right. That is a child of God, just like you are. We should not judge the group. Now, on the flip side of that, which I think a lot of people are struggling for on the kind of the coast, so to speak, is you have to understand that cops have millions of interactions a year. And this thing that happened to George Floyd is awful. I mean, I've had conversations with my brother and other police officers who they've even said, look, if it's even gray, most of the time I'm going to take the side of a cop. This isn't even gray. This is horrible. That guy is a, is a disgrace to the badge, right? I've heard that over and over and over again in conversations with police officers. So can we hold that individual accountable and not all cops? So for example, a little while back in one of the previous issues um, took place a couple months back. My brother, who's a police officer, gets called into a, um, a domestic violence situation. A, a man's beating a woman, so to speak. She's screaming in there. None of the community's helping her, right? And he's going in there. He's got a wife and kid to go home to. He's going into a hostile situation. He pulls his cop car into the community, and they're throwing food and liquor bottles at his car as a woman's getting beat upstairs, Right. So like that's the situation. Like we have to judge the individual, not the group, as hard as that may be. And I think that that's a principle that we can take place and that's that'll be true now versus a few hundred years from now. So that's the one that comes to mind. So I hear that and I have a little bit of pushback to it. Go for it. I love and 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 and's a great thing to say. I love and as as, as opposed to is I, I feel like society is making us choose like it's got to be one way or the other way. And's a great segue to do it. Yeah, it doesn't. Most things in life aren't either or. Correct. <laughs> it's the both and. So because I think you're right. I mean, it's like you if I have one interaction at if I'm like, oh, man, at my gym, personal trainers are slimy. Yep. Because they're always trying to, you know, they're always trying to work <laughs> the system, always trying to get me to hire them. And like, I don't want right. to because I've had, let's say, if I even had like five of those similar 
experiences. That doesn't mean that all trainers, that's going to be that experience. And uh, yeah, definitely we cannot put, um, our experience uh, with one person and generalize that to an entire race, to an entire group, um, to an entire country. However, there's, I think even the Bible talks about this. There's a, there's individual sin and then there's also corporate sin. And whereas like, so in America, the, the structures and systems in place from day one in America mm-hmm. have been set up corporately by groups of people to oppress black people, people of color and indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher Columbus was a rapist and he and his people performed genocide on the indigenous people of America. Um, black people were brought over from Africa by white people, not just one person to be, to be enslaved in America. So, and you know, then we have the emancipation of slavery and the third and then 13th amendment amendment and, you know, new Jim Crow civil rights movement, all that stuff. And I think the, what has been lingering that, has really never been dealt with is like a corporate communal American repentance. Like, yes, I can repent as like a a individual person, but Mm -hmm. it's also like, even if we're talking about the stuff that happened with the Catholic church, yeah, those are individuals and not every priest was corrupt and is corrupt. Mm -hmm. However, the church, the Catholic church as a whole slid that under a rug and made very specific choices to do so to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that there, that's why I think it's like a both and like, you're right. Like we can't say like every single cop is racist. However, the system has been set up to oppress black people and specifically black men. So how can we individually take responsibility for that? And how can we corporately be a part of that. And I think where just to make it personal for myself is I can say, you know what, like there are things as an individual white woman, there are things that I have and haven't done, whether it's, you know, and like I said, like I'm a, I'm like a ruffle featherer person. So I've from day one in the current church I go to have had conversations with the leadership staff about lack of diversity and what's the plan for inclusion. And, you know, why are there only white people on staff? And I've stopped there. I've just asked the questions and I I haven't really known what else I could do, you know, and what a privilege that it it wasn't more of a pressing issue for myself because it didn't impact me personally as a white person that much. And so I just think that's something that I'm personally processing through is like, there's personal responsibility there, but I'm also a part of a collective, whether it's like the collective of the church or the collective of being a quote unquote white female blogger on the internet. Um, so I just, that's why I think it's a both and. Right. I think there's so much to unpack there. Um, and I would go again, going back, circling back to principles, right? So if we think again in the beginning of this country in the Declaration of Independence, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're all endowed by their creator with unable, certain unable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I would say that as a country, we have we failed right from the start of upholding that principle. Right. I think that's a principle that the majority of Americans, if not all Americans, can get behind. Right. But we failed to do that. Right. And I think there is definitely an acknowledgement of that that has to take place. Right. A hundred percent. As far as that goes. Now, I would guess, I guess, for a more fun conversation, you would have to. The hard part about blind spots right, is you can't see what you can't see. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I've been doing the last couple of weeks, just having conversations with my brothers and sisters that are black, hearing their stories and their interactions with cops have been different than mine for the most mm-hmm. part. You know, like I was talking to a trainer in Nashville, a buddy of mine, um, GQ, awesome looking black dude. And, uh, you know, he was in a neighborhood, like a white, wealthy neighborhood training a client. And a cop stopped him and asked him what he was doing there. He's like, dude, I'm dressed like a trainer. I'm just leaving my client's house. And the cop kept kind of like pestering him a little bit. And this client came out and was like, hey, what's going on? And the cop really couldn't give an answer. Mm-hmm. And then he went back a couple of days later and the cop was waiting for him there at the same time. 
Wow. I've ne- I have never had that experience. Yeah. I have trained in a, the nicest neighborhoods in LA and I have never had that experience. So yeah. to hear that's powerful, right? And to empathize. And I think going back to like, you know, your faith, if you, if you believe that we're all brothers and sisters, right, then you should look out for those that are being treated poorly, right? Mm-hmm. Like you should stand up for that if you have the opportunity to. I think where it gets interesting that when you do this is if we're going, my fear, my biggest fear is that when we're, if the goal is that we lose sight of the goal and try to be right, mm-hmm. meaning that if we're going to build a better society, whether we like it or not, the majority of people in this country are white. Mm-hmm. And when you attack police officers, you're not just attacking one of the largest unions, but police officers, you're attacking the one of the, also one of the biggest unions and teachers. And what I mean by that is who do you think most cops are married to? Teachers and nurses, huge part of our society. So now that if they feel that they have made their husband and the father of their kids lives more dangerous, they may be like, an, they could have been an ally in helping improve society. And then now it goes blue lives matter. Right. And so if I get like that Raha moment of us jumping on anti Candace or pro Candace, whatever that may be, but strategically, if we're serious about building a better America, we have to find common ground. And I think that comes down from simply having conversations with people who think different, look different and believe different. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. And I think the, the theme that I'm, I'm hearing arising is the price we pay for being right. Yeah. And I, I remember, so I am an ENFJ on the Myers-Briggs. <laughs> okay. And that means I'm like jump now, fear later, fear later. My decision-making yeah. is very black and white. Yeah. And, um, I, I remember being in an emotional intelligence workshop a few years ago and, it's the, it's kind of like Tony Robbins esque and everyone's in a room and one person out of the audience is being publicly coached. And it's the CEO, this man, and he super successful millionaire yet just miserable in his life. And the guy is coaching him and man, he is just I, at the time I was like, he's berating him. (laughs) Like, Oh my gosh. Like I felt bad for the guy and his marriage, this guy's marriage was falling apart. His kids didn't want him in his life. And I can't remember the scenario for the life of me, but whatever the thing was, he was right. And I just remember the coach to this man saying, how is being right working for you? Wow. Great. Because yeah. in my head, I was like, I can't believe this guy's yelling at him. Like he's, this, the guy is right. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, his marriage is falling apart, but he's right. And that was such a, a transformative moment for me because in my head, in my like black and white thinking head in my either or head, it's like, yeah, but one plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. And he, the guy was like, you being right is costing you your marriage is costing you a relationship with your children. And, and then to make it personal, I had a falling out with a friend about a year and a half ago. And, um, part of it was because we were in a situation, we were in a crisis and I needed this person in that moment. And he didn't, he couldn't be there for me because he didn't agree with what I needed. He was like, this isn't that his mind was like, this isn't that big of a deal. You're overreacting. And we just reconciled recently and had this like tearful zoom call. And he was like, man, like, I wish I would have like, he's like, I couldn't be there for you in that moment because I couldn't empathize with you because I thought I was right. Right. And I was like, wow, look at like, uh, like you wanting to be right in that moment cost us a friendship. And then me wanting to be right. And I didn't want to reconcile with him as a friend because I was like, he screwed me over and I'm right. You know, it's a huge huge learning lesson. It's a brilliant, right? And everyone listening right now, we've all got personal relationships that uh, this can relate to. And it's kind of what I mentioned earlier is that we would rather be right than find truth. 
Mm. You know, it, it's something that I think is um, that we're all guilty of. Right? We could have a debate on God. We could have a debate on politics, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. And when I watch this go on online, it's people would rather be right than actually listening and learn. And in the process, and that's, again, going back to your faith of humility, right? How hard is it in today's society to simply listen? Mm. I mean, like look, you brought up the Candace Owen girl earlier. How hard would it be for you to watch, let's say, 30 minutes of her videos tonight mm-hmm. and, and not reply? Not, and, and then when you feel that thing that's uncomfortable, ask yourself, why is that uncomfortable? Totally. And, and dive into that. Why is, and, and you, during the process, you may actually be able to strengthen your position or you may ha- learn something new. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's learning to listen and going back to, again, for being believers in, in Christ and humbly serving those that are, you know, who are being left out, not having a voice. That's 100 percent we should do. But I think learning to listen is also a part of being a believer because we are so convinced right now that we are right. And whether yeah. let's just say that you are right. One hundred and twenty something other million Americans think differently. Yeah. And if that's just not a good recipe for a successful country. Or there's any, just a one-on-one relationship. Like no, it's, no, not at so all. in response to that challenge. So I will take you up on that challenge. I will watch 30 minutes of Candace. I've, on video. I've, I've never watched 30 minutes of Candace. Well, how about we both do it and report okay. back to each other. Okay. Um, so that I, even as you said that, like I started to cringe cause I felt like, you know what, that would be really hard. I, would, I would honestly just want to take notes the whole time about how I can't believe what this person is saying. However, to prove, trying to prove her wrong, right? right. But, but just like, like an athlete, that's that growth. That's that uncomfortable. It's willing to be uncomfortable, yeah. right, that you do yeah. that. Because it's much easier for you to watch someone that's, that believes the same position as you. It's much easier because it feels good. It's validation that you're right. 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes, to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refined Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. What I keep going back to personally is, does Jesus love the person I hate? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus, if God is real and like Jesus is real Mm -hmm. and that whole thing, did, did Jesus just come to live and die for people that I support? Not at all. That are woke. Right. Or does, does, did Jesus, does God also love the person that is a bigot and that is a white supremacist? Does God love, does God love those people? Does God love people who kill people? And I would say like my faith, what my faith says is yes, but like my body is like, no justice. (laughs) Right. Of course. And I just, I think I just keep asking myself that question. 
I, I don't want to name any more names, but when I am like, wow, like this person in politics or yeah. this person on the internet, like I seriously want to like punch this person. I'm like, okay, like, does God love that person? Right. And God does. And so it's, I think it's for me, it's, it's for whatever reason, my heart has always been for the person that is different than me. Mm-hmm. And I, for the person that doesn't feel safe in the church or feels like judged or ostracized yeah. by religious circles, like that's the person I've always been drawn to. And maybe it's because I've never really felt like I fit in the church and I have the hardest time having grace and space for other Christians. I'm like, mm, one strike you're out. Like you're judgmental. I don't want to be around you. Um, or you voted for that person. Like, I don't think yeah. I can be around you. Um, but like, what is it to build a bridge? Just like, just like we're saying, or just like you're saying of connection and listening, because I think as a person of faith, I have to also be willing to not just like say theology, but like be it. No one wants to hear what you believe. People want to see how you, how you live your life. Mm -hmm. You can, you can say Jesus. I love Jesus. You need Jesus all the Mm -hmm. hell you want, but no one gives a shit about that. But when that person who like, again, looks different, believes different. Can you show compassion and love for them? Because when you do that, that's, that, that's, that's different. Like that is different. What is about that person? What is about Kat that she, why can she do that? Why can she sit down and have a cup of coffee with that effing bigot? How can she do that? That's different. You know, I think that, that is I think that's a, that's a big missing thing in today's society. I didn't ask you any of the questions okay. that I have. These before. are fun conversations. <laughs> These are fun conversations. All, no um, how do you feel okay. about doing a little speed round? Okay. Go for it. Speed of, round. Of the, I, and I think you know some of the questions that are on that list, but I'm just going to kind of go through maybe five of them okay. and you can just maybe like rattle off like, like a short answer for each. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. Go for it. We'll okay. see how I do it. All right. Okay. The number one thing, what is the number one thing you can do to propel your wellness and fitness? <sighs> so for me, <clears throat> this all, you know, I started, been in fitness now for 10 years. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I would say it's been this journey of, it was all about working out, right? Training like an athlete. Then I learned yoga and I learned boxing. It was all about movement. Right. Then I was like, holy cow, it's really all about nutrition. It's all like, it's all about what you eat. And I spent years studying that. Then I was like, wow, it's all about actually meditation. Right. Like, we've got to get our minds right, so to speak. And then, as you and I were talking earlier about, wow, I'm totally missing the boat on sleep. Sleep is so important. We can eat all the kale, do all the burpees. And if we're not getting enough sleep, letting our body recover, we're not being, we're not like practicing really wellness. And then it dawned on me in the last like year or two, and I've just has been working with thousands of people over the years. I think it all stems back full circle to the number one thing is having a healthy identity as an individual, meaning that you're going to turn to fitness, hire a personal trainer, you're going to hire a nutritionist, health coach, life coach, whatever it may be. It needs to come from a healthy place in your identity. And what I mean by that for me personally, it's like, I'm a child of God. Therefore, I have inherent value. God's not going to love me if I have a six pack, right? God's not mm. going to love me anymore if I make $2 million, right? My inher- There's nothing I can do to deserve that love. Now, I've been given these gifts from God, and then I want to then go take these gifts and give it out to others. So to do that, I need to work out in the morning. I need to meditate and pray. I need to get my mind right. I need to eat healthy food. I need to get a good night's sleep because then I can use my gifts to go be of service. Now, that is how I think you build a healthy lifestyle. If you just go into it for wanting to get the six pack or lose whatever weight, that's fine. And you'll ride this roller coaster of wellness, most likely the rest of your life. But if you can come to that deep why and that healthy meaning and who you are, I think that is how you, that is to me the missing piece in the wellness conversation. That's so good. And I love the quote, God's not going to love me anymore if I have a six pack. (laughs) That's so good. Uh, Okay. Next one. GQ magazine will though. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Is alcohol good or bad in your fitness? Um, I think it all depends on the individual. 
you mm-hmm. know, I, for, I'll, I'll break down it like for me personally. I look forward to having uh, a glass of wine or some tequila on the rocks with a friend on Friday and Saturdays. I, I, I try for the most part, unless I'm sharing a meal with a friend to sustain from alcohol, uh, Sunday through Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. I usually try to have a meal with a friend and I'll have a glass of tequila or two. Um, I enjoy that. I think that alcohol is a great way for us to bring together, break bread. Now, granted, like I'll have one or two, right. And I'm a decent sized guy. Like I'm six, five, two So like one or two is not going to affect me a whole lot. Do I think it's fine? People have tons of studies of people had a glass of wine a night and, and live healthy lives. Absolutely. I think there's some people that have a history with alcoholism in their family. I actually have that as well, that you have to be very mindful of that. Um, and it, alcohol sustaining from it completely may be the best thing for you. I, again, I don't go into like a right or wrong answer. I think it can be part of a healthy part of your wellness with friends. Um, but you obviously need to be careful of that. Yeah, for sure. And why tequila? Is there, is that just like, oh, I like tequila more? I mean, I, I grew up on Miller Lite, so it's come a long way. Um, so I just found over the years for me personally, like the darker liquors um, seem to have a little bit more sugar, a little mm-hmm. bit more of a hangover and a good quality tequila. Like I said, I'll have a glass or two on Fridays and Saturday nights. Um, on the rocks seems to sit well with my system. A glass of wine could do the same properly. Uh, I think that beer often, I, I love a good beer and a steak. And I'll have that occasionally as well. Um, but a couple of beers like kind of bloats me and most people. Yeah. Um, and so the tequila to me, for whatever reason, that most folks I've you know worked with seems like it's something that they look forward to on a Friday and Saturday to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And they've had their one or two and they're good to go. Yeah. Okay. Final question. It's also really hard for me not to like engage and have (laughs) a dialogue. Um, Okay. So how is, this will be our final question. How is physical, physical fitness a manifestation of your spiritual life? How is physical fitness a manifestation of your spiritual life? Okay. Well, I think kind of going back to, again, that idea that we are all given gifts. Hmm. And I think it's our job to sub to, and we'll wrap this all up to serve our brothers and sisters. That's our African-American brothers and sisters. That's our cop brothers and sisters. That's to serve humanity as all children of God. Fitness is a, simply a tool, right? It's a mindset that we can give our best each day to our communities and our loved ones. And one thing I always say for folks is when I work with clients is, Try to move your body and connect your spiritual practice first thing every day before you turn on social media, before you check your emails, so you can prime yourself for positivity. And I think we have a personal responsibility to give our best each and every day to our loved ones and our community. And to do that, fitness is simply a tool to do that. So good. It, when you say that, it reminds me of one of my um, life coaches used, used to say to me, how you show up for one thing is how you show up for everything. Yep. And even, even when I was like super into the yoga community for years here in New York, I remember one feeling like, man, I better be spending as much time (laughs) with God as I am on my mat. And because I felt, I mean, to me, like moving my body is like worship with God. I Mm -hmm. feel like so connected to God when I'm like sweating and working out and a lot of my friends are like, what is wrong with you? Why are you torturing yourself? Why do you work out so much? And I literally, for me, that is my time with God. But I felt like, man, if I want to be starting, I want to be sure that I am prioritizing my spiritual health just as much as I am my physical health. Well, and, and I will say this to add on to that is that I look at fitness as a tool to dive into the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is that all of my workouts online end in a meditation and prayer. And so you know, for example, I came to know Christ when I was 12 and pretty much every night and morning for the most part, I've woke up, I've waken up in the morning, God be with me today. I'm half awake, you know, and I'm kind of like be with my family, but I'm kind of honest. I was half-assing it, mm. right? I wasn't dialed in. But what I found is if I can shock the system with some sort of movement, it doesn't really matter. It could be a run. It could be a swim. It could be one of my home workouts, yoga, whatever. But if you can shock the system, then you can dive into the spiritual and be more connected, right? Like, so when I felt like when I was praying, I was just kind of talking to God. But when I learned to meditate, I was creating this space for God, right? Mm-hmm. So Psalms 4610 says, be still and know that I am God, right? So be still. 
again, to wrap this all up, when is the last time that we've been still, complete stillness? Mm-hmm. I think we have to cultivate that. And we can cultivate that. We can experience God's presence and love. So good. So good. Well, Todd, it's been Enjoyed real. It. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's real. I love conversations like this. No, did not plan for this at all, but it was fun. I know. I felt there's some guests that I have where we really have planned out what we're going to talk about. And for whatever reason with you, I was like, I feel like we should kind of go with the flow. And here we are. So, okay. You have a lot of incredible things to offer people. Can you tell us where you are on the internet worlds, how they can get your workouts, all of those things? So you can just go to TMAC Fitness online or my Instagram, and there's links for free home workouts. We have workouts with no equipment or 20 minutes. We've got yoga videos. We've just added a kettlebell program. And you can do like 15 days for free. So you can check it out. Um, And then I would encourage you to keep following on Instagram. A couple times a year, we do these free amazing challenges where we open up our platform for free for everyone to come. Um, And we kind of basically take this deep dive into mind, body, spirit, the idea is to help people see that, again, that wellness is just more than burpees and kale, right? And we dive into the whole, you know, the mind, body, spirit. And so keep an eye on that. Those are a great way to get involved, too. And again, if you go to TMAC Fitness, you can get some dope free home workouts that all end in a meditation and prayer. Amazing. All right, Todd, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, God, for, all, for, for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about and I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.